Hello, listeners, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am your host for today's episode. But before we get to the episode, I want to let you know about two things we got coming up. The Apologetics Candidate Conference is back in 2023. This time, we're calling it Branded, Rethinking Identity. We're excited to announce that this time around, you're going to have two opportunities to take in the conference, one in BC and one in Saskatchewan. If you're keen, you can sign up for both. For those of you who are coming to the Saskatchewan conference, it'll be held on February 10th to the 11th at Briarcrest College and Seminary, 510 College Drive, Port, Saskatchewan. For those of you in BC, it'll be held at Northview Community Church on March 3rd to the 4th. The super early bird tickets are already available on our website at apologeticscanada.com slash events. So make sure you sign up today to get those early bird prices. Now we have one more announcement from Andy Steiger himself. Hi listeners, this is Andy Steiger from Apologetics Canada and I have an exciting announcement. We have a $100,000 matching donation opportunity that we want to let you know about. That means that we have the potential to raise $200,000 by the end of 2022. As we seek to increase our impact across Canada, we need your help to double our resources so that we could do more together. That's the perfectly consider donating with us today. You could do so at ApologeticsCanada.com. And for those of you who have donated, I just want to say a big thank you from all of us here at Apologetics Canada. We couldn't do it without you. Once again, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We're going to get right into it where we're sitting down and having a conversation about our time at ETS, but even the bigger conversation of why biblical academia is important. What does it mean to really study your faith? Why do you need both? Many people may pose the question of, why isn't what I'm doing enough? But perhaps that question leads to a bigger question. Now for the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AC Podcast. I am here today, live on location in Denver, Colorado, with the team, uh, Andy, Steve, and Wes. We are here for the Evangelical Theological Society Conference, also known as ETS. Welcome, gentlemen, as if I am the one who lives here and I'm inviting you to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be in your Airbnb. Yeah. 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 Thanks for inviting us, Troy. It's, You're been, very it's been really nice so far. By the way, our Airbnb feels like the set of Harry Potter. It am does. I right? First of all, this home is like super old. Yeah. But it looks like straight out of the the movie and there's like this tiny little, you know, stairway leading upstairs, but then there's this very creepy, yes. you know, dungeonous basement. Dungeonous basement that looks like Harry Potter would have lived in. Yeah. And or goblins. Yeah. And oh, or yes. goblins. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you are tracking. Okay. Well, we haven't gone down there, but uh we're pretty sure there may or may not be goblins. <laughs> yeah, none of us had the courage to go down no, into the basement. No. Or desire, really. Now, I got to tell you guys, I know it's Colorado, but I was surprised to wake up to snow. That that was a shocker. Yes. Yeah, the first day, well, first night we slept here, and then we woke up, there was snow. And then the next day, there was nothing. <laughs> it's very cold. It's cold, yeah. And it was very pretty for a little bit there. Yeah, it was. It was beginning yes. to feel a lot like Christmas. Cold and dry. I know. I've got my Christmas lights up at home, man. I'm just ready to flip the switch. Uh, Let's go. Flip uh, the switch. What's that? Now, Andy, you've you've been here more often than any of us here. How how many times have you been to ETS? Uh, I've been to ETS for a decade, but this is uh, my second time uh, at ETS in Denver. So, just to give you guys a little bit of uh, background, is what this is. So, ETS stands for the Evangelical Theological Society. And at the same time, EPS also means, which is the Evangelical Philosophical Society. And this is uh, a conference that happens between Tuesday 
and Thursday. Happens every year, and it follows a conference that's huge called the AAR, which is something to the effect of the American Academy of Religious Studies. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why they won't call it AARS. That, that's why I was... Or American because Academy it sounds of like Religion. Ours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Religion. Yeah, so, it sounds too much like ours. It sounds like ours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wes. We're following the, the ours. The Europeans uh, <laughs> kibosh that one. They're like, ah, we use that word. There's also uh, SBL that also meets... Society of Biblical Literature. Right. So what, what happens is there's this big umbrella, uh, AAR, and then all of these other conferences meet underneath it. And But they're not small by any means. I mean, there's got to be at least 3,000... Uh, people here. And so what this conference is, uh, and I was so thankful to be introduced to this years ago, and it's one of the reasons why it's been kind of a tradition of us here at AC to do a podcast on location at ETS to let people know that this exists. I think it's important because I was a pastor like for 10 years and I had no idea that this was even a thing, or maybe it was eight years I had been a pastor when I first found out about ETS. So this is an opportunity for your Christian authors, um, professors, uh, you know, different organization leaders. They all come to this. And, and pastors. Yeah, and pastors. pastors you're right. A lot of pastors. And I won't say they all come to this, but the, a lot come to a it. A good portion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's really interesting because if you, you know, if you've spent any time studying all things Christianity, you know, in the evangelical world, you will see a lot of those authors who wrote the textbooks that you've been reading, right? And, or if you're in the apologetics world, right, the the people that you see on YouTube, they're just kind of walking around, right? And so, yeah, just you turn around, there's just about, like, I recognized a lot of people and it's just kind of fun seeing them like okay so you're actually like a real person not just (laughs) not just pixels on screen i was telling andy the other day like i see all these people who are like authors and speakers and stuff and i want to go introduce myself but i don't know what to say other than hi i'm wes (laughs) right thank you for writing a book like thank you for reading my book Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there now. I'm going to walk <laughs> like, away now. Like, like some people I have, you know, they are my area of academic research or something. But some of them I'm just like, hey, uh, I know that guy. Uh, I just want to say hi, but I have no idea what to say past hi. Right. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had that problem at all. Um, it's, it's, been, it's, it's been really interesting because this is my first time being um, at ETS, but also anything really apart from maybe sitting in a couple of seminary courses when I was in Bible college, but to be at something of this magnitude in the realm of academic study is just like, I'm, I'm reading titles to some of the the names of the, the, the sessions that you can go to. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to pick. I don't even know what language this is. <laughs> like it, it's just been super cool. But then noticing certain people that kind of walk around with not even like a, a swagger, but you can kind of tell which people other people know Cause there's like a flock that follows them around and it's just like, Oh, he must be important. <laughs> now it's been a tradition uh, here at AC that when we go to ETS that a, we record a podcast. So it's been for some people, maybe they've just been listening to the podcast recently. You're like, well, I haven't heard that. Uh, something happened called COVID. Hey, right, right. Right. <laughs> uh, so a lot of stuff hasn't happened for three years. Uh, now they did have like a kind of conference last year from what I understand, but from what I was hearing, everybody was saying three years, like 
this is really the first time that we've had like a full-blown uh, ETS conference. But one of the traditions uh, that we've always enjoyed doing is kind of just showcasing the nerdiness of this <laughs> conference by picking some of our favorite titles uh, for some of the talks. So, uh, guys, uh, get your talk titles ready, and we'll see who has found some of the best. But to appreciate this, I mean, there are literally hundreds of breakout sessions on all sorts of topics, and some of the titles are absolutely ridiculous and glorious all at the same time. I'll start off here. Uh, this was one of my favorites from this year. Kudos to Tim Mustellar. <laughs> Mustellar, we're going to go with that, from California Baptist University. He's going to write us a nasty letter. I know, that is <laughs> not how you pronounce my last name. Uh, are being in good convertible, like totally an 80s debate revisited? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> what you got? I got one uh, by Ryan Mullins at the University of Helsinki. Is the is the god of classical theism a psychopath? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Continue. Session over. <laughs> so the one I've chosen is is not because it was nerdy. Per, well, it is nerdy, but I'm just giving for the people like myself who are brand new to this world. Uh, some of these titles having no idea what they could possibly mean. Uh, this one goes to Paul Carby from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Redefining Boethian personhood, using Aristotelian potentials to recover medieval anthropology. So I know the word anthropology and redefining. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no idea who Bo is. Uh, oh, and I know personhood and the word too. So, <laughs> just so, so I can at least attend. <laughs> Troy's sitting there going, nodding during the session going, ah, yes, I've heard these words before. Yes. <laughs> ah, English. Okay. Uh, yeah, these are words I know. Um, Andy and I, this morning, we attended a, a talk called The Dating Game, uh, the 2022 edition of New Testament Manuscripts. And then Andy couldn't handle the talks. They were too nerdy for him. He took off. I liked the first one, second one. I wanted to poke my eyes out. And then, <laughs> well, you missed it because later on there was one called Dating and Breaking Up, the text of Papyrus 4, 64, 67, P66, and P75, which is right up my alley. But <laughs> I left at the right time. Uh, how about this one? How does this one sit with you? Did the, uh, first of all, full credit to Mark Wilson from... Stellenbosch University. Did the Loatians drink lukewarm water? Question mark. <laughs> A hydrological inquiry into Revelation 3, 15 to 16. <laughs> Listeners, I wish you could see Troy's face right now. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean? I think that's a good segue, though, because these are like, you know, we're laughing at the super nerdy and academic talk titles. But what does it mean? And what does a conference like this contribute to, say, the average, uh, if I can say, butt in the pew, who, you know, just attends church on a regular basis? We have chairs. Oh, Thank you. Good call. Good call. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So what do you guys think? What does something like this, which maybe the listeners listening and they, they think, well, that sounds kind of elitist. How does this contribute to the broader church life? Well, I think first we just got to just, we need to mention, we picked the nerdiest ones we could find out of the entire yes. book. Okay, there so were ones that were just called- They're not all this bad. No. Yeah. Except for Wes's. Except they, for me. They are. There was one that was just called holiness, okay? So, <laughs> full stop, period. Holiness. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's really interesting. Like, I'll, we can get to that question, but it's just, it's really interesting coming to these sorts of, coming to this event for me, because for one, I never wanted to go to Bible college, never wanted to be in seminary. I ended up going to Bible college, but a lot of the reasoning was what I had seen from that world. Not saying that this was a fair gauge, but what I'd seen from the world of the biblically academic was just, like you were saying, very elite. Like, because you speak Greek and like we had a, a teacher who had a Greek Bible and he read, it was a, he read the Bible to us in English, but his Bible was Greek. And to me, it was just like, he would, he would always make mention to tell everyone that, oh, my Bible's Greek, so you can't read this one. I was like, dude, like, what, okay. <laughs> but for, so for me, my perception of these sorts of things were always just like, oh, okay, everyone else is just, you know, a, kind of a peon who has a very shallow understanding of their faith and they couldn't possibly love Jesus the way that I do because I have the historical understanding of who he was. And so, but as even from joining AC and, you know, the, just the, the periods of time that I've had with even the conversations with you guys, it's like that has radically changed because one, I'm in relationship with you guys, but I think maybe that's where it can be for a lot of people is you're not in relationship with some of these people. And so you don't see them on the day to day. You don't see what their regular life is like. Like Andy, you say all the time that your kid's perception of you at home versus the way they see other people see you is radically different. Yeah. Well, I think we're a group of guys who can, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was saying with my kids. I'm always cracking a joke. And they're like, can, like you're a pastor. Like, can you joke? Like, allowed to do that? And you allowed to do that? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I always joke that uh, like PhD stands for permanent head damage, so don't be too intimidated <laughs> because uh, we're all we're all on a journey somewhere. Um, but yeah, and and I appreciate that, Troy, because I think it can you can create this perception of ivory towerness that you know there are those people over there, and we're glad that they know what they're talking about, but we're just going to be over here. Well, it is interesting because we were talking about this at dinner in PS. We ate dinner at. Chick-fil-A. Yes, we did. We had God's chicken. God's chicken. <laughs> yes. And it was it was fantastic. But you know, it's interesting. Okay, so Troy and I did a speaking engagement just recently and some of the feedback, one of the feedbacks was, "Man, Troy's talk was awesome and I loved it, but Andy's was super like I had a hard time tracking <laughs> with Andy's." <laughs> and I was like, "God bless you." <laughs> right. Uh, thank you for this email. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, but that, like that doesn't actually bother me because I, I get that you know sometimes, and that was actually the way Troy and I uh, structured it. But it is interesting that some people, you know, you can kind of go two two ways on this. On the one hand, some people just think Christianity has nothing to do with academics, and then you have on the other hand some that just think Christianity is only about academics. And what we're constantly trying to show people is uh, that it's both, and you need both. Yeah, and even, you know, there are some people who kind of react to that, like what you mentioned, Wes, earlier about that ivory towerness of things, right? And so they say, well, you know, I don't need theology, just give me Jesus, just give me the Bible kind of a thing. Yeah. And, I mean, even to say that, right, you, you would be surprised just how much you depend on you know, the, the academics and the work they've done already. Well, let's talk about that. Like, the the type of people that are at this conference are the ones that are literally translating right. the Bible. Right. But 
part of translating the Bible is actually being in an academic community where you're holding each other to account and also sharpening each other by by challenging you know each other and making sure that you're doing things at a high level and in, in a way that's being held accountable. Well, I was having this conversation with someone recently because I posted something on social media and it was, I mean, I try to keep my stuff as accessible as possible, but it was relatively academic. And they'd uh, DM me and said, you know, they were kind of pushing back on some of the stuff I was, I was saying. And, and one of their comments was, well, you, are you just relying on the scholars? Yes. And so are you to some degree or another, yeah. because you're quoting me the Bible in English and the Bible wasn't written in English. So you are as well relying on the scholars, at least trusting the scholars who have devoted their life and time to translate the Bible. And then you're building off of that. But I think there is, you know, years ago, uh, a very prominent apologist who, if I said the name, I think a lot of the listeners would recognize it. Before I was planning on going, well, I was planning on going and doing doctoral research. And he really pushed me and said, don't do that because you're going to get stuck in this vocabulary and people are not going to know what you're saying. And I think there is an appropriate hesitation, but ultimately my response was, I just listened to a talk of his where he'd quoted a New Testament scholar. And I said like, hey, you quoted this guy. Who's going to be the next that guy that the next you will quote? Like right. we need those people as right. well. Well, I, but this is another thing that goes back to what you were saying, Troy, where we got to appreciate that people are coming into Christianity at different levels and asking different kinds of questions. Exactly. And are we going to meet them where they're at? Yeah. No matter where they're at, if they're coming in, uh, you know, with more basic questions or if they're coming in with, with deeper questions, because I'm telling you right now, if I wasn't engaged at a deeper level, I probably wouldn't be a part of the, the Christian faith. Like very simply, it's an evangelistic tool. Like if a bare, bare minimum, you look at the different levels of the faith, whether you're just the, the loving pastor on the corner or you're a scholar translating the Bible into a whole other language, it's different hooks for different people. You may only catch someone in who's someone who's from the academic world but doesn't know Jesus. Well, his route may not. It may be the guy on the corner, but the questions he may ask may require the guy that's you know who has a, a history of the academic world and understands that this world, this component of the faith, is is one hundred percent daunting. It is nerve wracking because I think about some of the, the sessions I sat in. Like, would I love to ask a question? Sure. But there was a, I, I got to be honest, in my own insecurity, I'm like, I don't know how I would answer, ask this question without sounding like the dumb guy. You know what I mean? Like, that was my insecurity. It's like, this is how I would ask the question. I felt the same way when I first started attending. You felt that way? Oh, yeah. Well, and you know what? Like I still Andy feel and I, that way. Andy and I have talked about the fact that, like, academic conferences are full of people who, who have, uh, what's the term? I'm not sure. What? <laughs> <laughs> Give me well, more. Good. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Moxie? Um, um, uh, what's it called when you're imposter syndrome? A lot of academics have imposter syndrome. And they walk around to these conferences thinking everybody, even the ones who are presenting papers, they're like, that that paper sounds smarter than my paper. Like, And, and I think I think it's not just the, you know, the person who maybe is not coming in with as many letters behind their name. I think a, a lot of people just in general really struggle with the fact that there is a dauntingness to the world of academia. And that's that's what really helps me kind of look at all of this a little differently is, you know, they're people, right? Just like you and me, right? And and so in some ways I, I look at 
I mean, Andy, you, you told me that, and well, you said this on the podcast too, that you didn't really, you weren't a very good student and you didn't really find this love for learning until you became a Christian, right? And And I would probably think, you know, when you were in high school, let's say, and you weren't doing too well in school, you probably would have looked at people that are getting PhDs thinking, I'll never get there. I, I wasn't even thinking about PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Right. You know what though, Steve? In that vein, the vast majority of people who I know who are doing PhDs are like that. I was a terrible student. Yeah, I was very right. unmotivated. And the people who are doing these like higher upper echelon works and degrees I don't think that they're geniuses necessarily. Now I have met a few people who I'm like, yeah, you're a straight up genius. But the vast majority, I think, are just people who have found something that they're genuinely interested in and they're motivated. And they're they're willing to put in the work. Like it's it's a, a PhD, a doctorate degree. It's really just a, a time thing. It's being willing to focus and put in that time. And so then I think, right, who's listening to this podcast right now right? That's kind of like that where, you know, cause I, I look at, for example, I look at you guys and I'm like, I, I am looking to get into a PhD program and I get a lot of encouragement watching you guys. If they can do it, I can. Thanks, you know, Steve. No, no, mean? What, what do you mean by that, yeah, Steve? No, no, no. I understand exactly what I, you're saying. I do too. Cause I always think about it like a bench press where you're watching somebody, you know, bench a bunch of weight, right? And you're like, can I, could I do that sort of thing? But then when you see somebody else and you're like, wait a minute, I can lift as much as they can right, right. or, or, you know, you're more encouraged, but doing a PhD wasn't, was daunting in that there's a, there's a fear factor. Cause you're like, what if I fail? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, before you get into stuff like that, it's like, cause when you're doing something like a PhD, right. In, in a sense, you're extending the boundaries of human knowledge. Cause you're, you're going into like, you often described it as going into deep space where no one else has gone before and you don't know what's there. And it's, it's almost like, you know, that feeling when you're sitting on the first day of class and you get all your syllabus and you're like, I am never going to get through this. It's a little bit like that, but with uh, sort of this factor of the unknown thrown into it, like you don't know where you're going. And for all, you know, you're going to come to a dead end at the end of spending how many years? Cause right now that's what I'm feeling. Even as I'm just preparing, just writing proposals, I'm just like, I don't know this is going to go anywhere. Now, I wonder on the other side of things, if there's people that are presenting that actually have no idea what they're talking about. Like, everything they're saying is just complete. <laughs> <laughs> like, now, could you define? Well, uh, it caca. depends what you mean by <laughs> excrement. <laughs> I, I, I just, I wonder, because it's... It, you see you see it in other things. You really do. You see people that present well, but don't actually know the depths of what they're doing at all. They can just, they have the ability to make something sound really good, but really it's like, wait, what? What are you saying? I wonder if that happens. Well, do you know what's interesting? I've been a part of a lot of conferences over the years. And in the Evangelical Theological Society and Philosophical Society, I can't think of a moment that I've been in a, in a session. I'm not sure if you have either Steve where I'm like, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm. I don't know that I've had that actually, but absolutely. I've been at other academic conferences and I'm like, I I don't think this person 
I think this person's completely lost. <laughs> right. But yeah, 100%. But I haven't, interestingly, I haven't seen it here. It's pulling off of kind of your bench press analogy and what you were talking about, Steve. I think one of the things that we do need to recognize is you don't see someone bench pressing 400 pounds and then you get and put 400 pounds on the bar <laughs> right. because that person didn't start with 400 pounds. They started at whatever and they worked their way up. And we all have different strength levels and we all have different kind of abilities intellectually, physically, and all these things. And I think where we can be encouraged is, you know, a friend of the ministry, Tim Barnett, who works with Stan to Reason, I always quote him when he says, if you want to know the mind of God, you have to start by using your own. And I think the encouragement there is that you don't need to become the scholar. You just need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind by applying yourself. You don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know Hebrew. You don't need to know the you know ins and outs of these philosophical concepts. God is calling you to the best of your ability just to honor him with what you can do to the best of your ability. Well, wouldn't we say, you know, go as deep into your faith as, as you want to, right? If the goal, the goal isn't to be the smartest Christian, right? The goal is to love God and to love Well, speak people. for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, we'll let him finish, but... <laughs> but don't, yeah, I mean, don't you think you have to, you got to be careful. Yeah, yeah, no, some, you're right, you're right. There's some people that I think... They feel bad about themselves because they haven't read the latest Tim Keller book sure. or whatever it might be. And it's like, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. You know, you need to read my book, but it's okay. Yes. If you <laughs> yes. if you didn't read Keller's. Like, I mean, honestly, I think there's some of us that almost kind of have this like spiritual FOMO or uh, intellectual FOMO that kind of goes on sort of thing where it's like, you just need to be okay with you and Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think in there, I think... The Protestant sort of emphasis on salvation by grace can really help, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not about you being the smartest Christian, right? You do what you can. You do your best to honor God with what he has given you, but it's not about, you know, trying to beat other people. Because it's not, it's not by effort. Salvation has already been given to you, and so you're not trying to earn anything, so then it really gives you the freedom then to just enjoy using what God has given you, right? I will say this, that as, you know, thinking about all the conferences I've ever spoken at and you have kids come up to you and they're wanting to ask like deep questions about Christianity and Jesus and the faith, just, you know, there, there is something to be said about knowing certain resources to send people to. And I think that is one place that I wish for, even for myself and that I want to grow for myself in, because it may not so much be a matter of like, Hey, I can answer this question for you, but being able to point you there because I've, you know, I've, I've watched some people walk away from the faith, not saying it was my fault or what I did or did not do, but But if you stop doing that, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sorry, God. But just really wishing that, man, I wish I had more resources to send you, like maybe go check out this book. Maybe go because they're those type of people that they want to search for it. But I think when you're in a position sometimes of of whatever level your influence is, knowing places to send people can be really pivotal. Or that there's even somewhere to send people. Yeah, exactly. It's because I think that's one of the reasons why we like to do this podcast is yeah. we want to remind people, hey, you're you're part of the Christian faith that has a robust intellectual tradition that you can be proud of. Yeah. And that hasn't stopped. There were 
you know, intelligent Christians in the past, and there's intelligent Christians today doing great work, and we rely on their resources all the time, yeah. such as reading our Bible, right? And and in different ways that that is important to know. That's a part of our heritage, and that's a it's a beautiful part of Christianity that we can lean on. As you're saying, Troy, when people have questions, you have questions. You know that we can dig deep into our faith and and grow in our faith. And it's not just you know intellectuals that are just within the church, right? It, or just just for the church. The church has produced some of the most influential thinkers of all of Western civilization and globally too, right? Mm. Like I think of say Augustine or or Luther or Copernicus or just these yeah. various scientists, right? right. Yeah. Like Louis Pasteur, the father of microbiology. And I mean, the list is huge. And people forget that somebody like Isaac Newton, right? Like he wrote more in theology than he did in physics. Mm. Right? People forget that. And, and so, yeah, the church or has don't produced. Know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know it's funny because we were reading this article by atheist Ricky Chavez, and he was, you know, kind of mocking Christians because he's like, I'd rather have, you know, penicillin than faith sort of thing. And the irony is, I, I when I read it, I'm like, ah, you know, penicillin was invented a while ago, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was a Christian that invented penicillin. And you're having faith that the penicillin works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I looked it up, sure enough, right? Um, it was invented in a Christian hospital uh, with this, you know, Christian guy. Question whether and how, how deep this guy's faith is, I don't care. But Right. It's just interesting. You 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 can't get away from the impact that it has had and currently and continues to have. Well, and I think to your point, Troy, that's the encouragement and the conviction of the flagship apologetic verse, First Peter three, fourteen and fifteen, where it says, you know, after saying, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's not directed at us whose job titles are Christian apologist. That's just directed at the average Christian. He's talking to regular Christians who are dispersed in the ancient Roman world. And he's not saying, you know, you need to be this intellectual genius, but he is saying, be ready. Be ready to give those answers. For now, the prerequisite to that is that you're living a life that expresses a hope that makes that merits that people are going to ask, um, which should be a conviction to people who do have job titles that are Christian apologists, because it means that we shouldn't just have the answers. We should also be living a life that exemplifies yeah. something that merits that people are going to ask us about, about why our lives are different, not just about how much information we can pour out on others. One of the things that I really appreciate about ETS that is also a part of the Christian tradition that as of late, I think has gotten lost a little bit, and that is you got to be so cautious of the celebrity culture that creeps into Christian academia, authorship, yeah. and the like. But one thing that happens at ETS that's so uh, wonderful, honestly, is that it is a place that everybody is on the same level, can interact with one another, and most importantly, challenge each other. So I was in a session today of a brand new book coming out, and then you have the author there, and then you have a panel of people that have read the author's work, you know, it's one of the new books that'll be coming out, and they're challenging him, and they're questioning. And they these people had been a part of questioning him as the book was being written, and now, you know, they're, they're interacting with him. And I think that's just such an important part 
of scholarship that you know it's it, you're not above critique. Yeah, and it and it's being made available to everybody who comes here. Yeah, and right. that you can participate in the critique yeah, and challenge the author and and the, and and see them respond to the different questions is just a very healthy I think it's a healthy practice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's interesting as that verse you brought up Wes. This is standing out to me now. It's like be ready to give an answer. Cuz I think sometimes when we when a person is actually hasn't doesn't really have a rooted faith, that's when they become dismissive. That's when it's, well, I just do, and I don't have to explain it to you. Whereas scripture, just from what you're pointing out, is like, no, there needs to be an answer. It doesn't say that it has to be lofty, but if you're dismissive, that's pretty telling of a sign that you actually haven't really sat with this, and it may be of something you've just adopted, which is a starting point. Or you're trying point. to avoid it, or is there something deeper yes. going on? Well, and that's the bookend, right? So the, the first bookend is, but in your heart to rear Christ as Lord. And the last bookend yeah. is, but do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And arguably, yeah. uh, and this was interesting in the session that I was in on apologetic methodology. They were talking about, um, you know, we don't want to come across as just know-it-alls and arrogant, and that the apologetic community has this kind of rap. But one of the people in the audience, I think actually pointed out correctly, he said, you know, I've been part of the apologetic community, uh, a well-known apologist in the audience. And he said, I can't think of anyone who is actually a professional apologist who acts like that right now. And I thought that was a good point because mm -hmm. it does have, and he actually said, you know, we lament, we, we're really concerned about this so much. So of being able to give an answer with gentleness and respect, that sometimes we almost go out of the way to couch things we say and that might be unnecessary. But I think to what you were saying, Troy, is that if you're not revering Christ as Lord in your heart and you're not giving your answer, answers with gentleness, respect, I almost think the text assumes you're either doing apologetics really poorly or you're not even doing apologetics. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. To, yeah, to, yeah. to piggyback off of that too, Troy and Wes, um, one of the verses that you know, or a passage that I've been really kind of enjoying. I don't know if that makes sense. Is makes sense, Steve. <laughs> okay. Col Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Glad to hear you're enjoying the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each person. And to me, apologetics isn't just about I mean, yes, it is about giving answers, but it's also, I think of it as the intellectual care for the soul. Part of it is because of my journey, but that that experience has kind of turned me outward a little bit. If I went through that, somebody else is. So for me, apologetics and, and just studying in general, like applying your intellect to the sort of the Christian worldview is for me all a part of loving somebody well. Right, because if somebody has real questions, I want to be able to love them well by providing a substantive answer and do that with gentleness and respect. Right? Yeah. Well, and it's know how to answer everyone, not know how to answer every objection. So it's really right. pointing out the humanity of the individual that there's a yeah. there's a questioner behind the question, yeah. and to remember that and have your words seasoned with salt. Yeah, and. Uh, just a quick story to go with that, because this was a really kind of a, 
an aha moment that kind of confirmed what I've been kind of mulling over. Because when I first went to Spruce Grove, which is where I live now, and I was invited to this youth group, right? And I'm talking about the existence of God. And at the end of the session, this um, high school student came came up to me and she asked me about carbon dating and all that kind of stuff. So I gave her what you know answers that I could give her. But then the next morning, I run into my sister-in-law who was serving with the youth, and she tells me the context, right? So that week, this student who goes to a public high school was in her science class, and the science teacher just went off on Christians, basically telling them that they're stupid, that if they want to succeed as scientists in the field of science, they have to give up their foolish notions about, you know, the earth being 10,000 years old and all that kind of stuff, right? So when I heard that, I'm just like, she wasn't asking about carbon dating at all. Her real question was whether she could be a Christian and a good scientist, because that's what she wanted to go into. So I'm emailing her, right, so seeing her parents because she was a minor and all that kind of stuff, and gave her a quick like crash course on the history of science and Christianity. And that was a, a really big moment because that question was, in speech act theory, you talk about locution and elocution. So locution is what you say. Elocution is what you mean. And so what she said was carbon dating, but her elocution, what she really wanted to know was, can I be a scientist and a good mm. Christian? So uh, that was a good kind of a, a, an instructive moment for me to know, okay, there is a person behind that question of carbon dating. Yeah. There is her experience that kind of... What's the bigger question? Right. The real question with that she was wrestling with. And honestly, I, I wish listeners could hear all the different people we get to hear from that have been impacted by the work that we do and have been encouraged in their faith. That uh, I guess for us, it's, it just reinforces on a regular basis uh, the importance of, of the work that we do. That I think, I, honestly, I think some people could just take it for granted. Because yeah. they perhaps aren't wrestling with those questions. Or maybe it's like a grandparent or grand, you know, some grandparents or whatever. They're like, they're not in the university experiencing what these young people are experiencing. Yeah. And so I think sometimes it's hard for them to appreciate how essential uh, this is in the, the life of, of their faith. I, I think, uh, to your point, Steve, to encourage the listener who might feel like, you know, I don't have all, I'm not the Christian encyclopedia. A, neither are we. <laughs> um, <laughs> B, I think when you encounter those types of things, and particularly in my experience, when I've encountered people who seem hostile, one of the most useful things that I've found is not necessarily assuming that they're coming in hot on a question like, like the one, one I'm thinking of is, um, uh, I was once doing a talk at a university and someone came up afterwards and uh, they were really pushing back on God being good. And... Um, they had all these questions about hell and uh, if a God is good, why do all these evil things exist? And I just felt uneasy about it. And at one point I just said, you know, these are really great questions. Why are you asking them? And it turned out that her mom was dying of cancer. Mm. And it was like, she wasn't really worried about whether God was good. She was hurting. Mm -hmm. And I could have gone in with the philosophy and the theology and took her to task, did the mic drop, you know, the YouTube videos with the, Wes Huff destroys young atheists at university <laughs> campus. Um, but A, I think the spirit was really leading me in that moment because I just felt like th these questions are not what this person is dealing with. And I think for the listener, the encouragement is, you know, we can just 
we don't have to necessarily even answer questions that people ask, although we, sh- we should in some instances, and that requires wisdom. But sometimes it's, it's just a case of asking that person, acknowledging that they're asking good questions and asking them, you know, hey, why are you asking that? Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. And one thing that I find interesting is that ministry happens not just in those settings where you're invited to speak and all those kinds of things. Sometimes it just happens over email or a Facebook message or whatever, right? Like I, I'll sometimes get some kind of a direct message all out of the blue, ask, you know, with some questions or whatever. Now I have to be careful because I, I want to make sure that, you know, I have a healthy boundary between work and, and home life, but sometimes I'll take these on if I if I sense something significant is going on. And one was this Chinese fellow who sent me an email and he was really struggling with the whole question of, you know, young earth, old earth and all that kind of stuff. And normally, you know, I would kind of launch into, right, the usual kind of spiel about these different views and whatever. But just that day, for for whatever reason, I just had a sense that I, I think it was the Holy Spirit prompting me that that's not really the question that he's asking. That's that's not there is a re or there is a reason that he's bringing these particular questions to the table. So I just asked him, "Why does this matter to you so much?" Right, and and then just it all came out. Right, what his church was teaching and how he was wrestling with how, you know, his disagreements with the church. So it turned out to be a lot more about the authority of the church than about the actual issue itself. And so, yeah, I I find that this work, because we're dealing with people, it's never just if, if, if he says A, I say B. If he says C, I say D. It's not quite like that. It's really complicated because each person's, each individual's, background context is all different. So in some ways I feel like, man, maybe I just need to take some some training in counseling and therapy or something, right? Because a lot of the work kind of comes close to that. Well, one of the reasons I think that that is, is that storms hit people's lives. This is something Troy and I've been talking a lot with identity. People experience different storms in their life. Like you were saying, Wes, somebody's, you know, if a parent gets cancer or uh, or as was mentioned, a child dies or, you know, something like that. And it's one of those storm moments where um, the, their their faith is being challenged. And, and now, you know, they're wrestling with things. And sometimes it's a matter of wrestling through things logically. Sometimes it's wrestling through things emotionally. And so, but it is interesting, you know, how the interplay uh, between that. And what I find is the heart and the mind will always interact, uh, but... Often, but rarely together. It's kind of like one, you know, the heart maybe interacts first and then the mind interacts or the mind interacts and then the heart interacts. You know what I mean? Well, we never believe something on any one basis. Like whenever anybody tells me something to the equivalent of, I'm an atheist because of the facts. No, you're not. (laughs) Like I am a Christian because I believe it's true. But there are all sorts of experiential and social and like there are other reasons I think first and foremost, uh, I am convinced Christianity is true based on the evidence, but there's a social component to it. There's a fact that um, 
it, I am emotionally moved by the narrative of the gospel. All of these things interplay. And so we need to realize that, you know, yes, the facts matter, but also the person matters. So I'd love to pose this question um, because this is a question that that I had, but I'd just love to hear how you guys would answer it, given kind of the way you have been, you know, trying to better understand the question behind the question and that sort of thing. But to the average person who is like, okay, I go to church every Sunday, I read my Bible. Why isn't me just doing that enough? Like, how would you answer a person who's who a- asks the question in that form? Like, how would you... How would you respond to that? I mean, if if I were to kind of kick kick in my sort of the philosopher side of me, I have to ask enough for what? Why isn't that enough? And I'm asking enough for what? Like, if it's a matter of your salvation, I'm just like, well, you, God has already given it to you by His grace, right? So there's nothing you can add to it. So it can't be for that. So what what do you mean? enough right so i am curious what that might be now i have a nagging suspicion that it's probably something along the lines of like am i being a good christian can i be a better christian if i study hard and things like that i'm like that's often the premise is like are you saying you're a better christian than me because you you study and you are, are learning these other things why isn't what i'm doing enough well I, I can't help but think about Paul and his convers- his letter to Timothy and his encouragement to Timothy to fan his faith into flame, mm. right? And it, you get the illustration, of course, of the ember, and in that that society, that's how you cook, it takes work. right? Yeah, and it takes yeah. work. You got to you got to you got to grow that uh, little ember, you know, into into a flame. And so, how do you do that? And I think that there's multiple ways that you you know, grow your faith. I think one of the ways that you can grow your faith is in in worship, right? In in prayer. One that's often forgotten is community, right? Yeah. But yeah. you can also grow your faith in in your mind, right? As you read God's word, as you uh, as you deal with questions that you have, instead of avoiding your questions, actually being real about your questions and engaging mm. your questions. Uh, it, these are all important ways. I think that are about about growing your faith. So in other words, and this is kind of, I think, an overarching thing that I would just uh, say with regards to the question you asked, Troy, is I would be asking, what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to love God, as Jesus says? You know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, what, what does that look like as a whole person? How do I love God? And then how, what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And part of that is, you know, making Christ so irresistible to ourselves that we can't help but let Jesus be in our regular conversations. Yeah. And and part of that, you know, the whole Martin Luther quote of we're beggars showing other beggars where to find the bread. And I just pulled up while you were uh, asking your question, the, the 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal, he has this great quote where he says, people despise religion. They hate it and are afraid it might be true. The cure that we have to begin with is showing that religion is not contrary to reason that it is worthy of reverence and respect. Next, show it to be attractive. Make good men wish it were true and then show them that it is. And I think, you know, part of the answer to the question is that we have a hope that transcends 
everything. And that's what we're longing for. And we're looking for it in so many other things. Everybody's worshiping something. It's not a matter matter of whether you worship, it's what you worship. Yeah. And, you know, it's cliche to say there's a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart, right? But literally, <laughs> there's a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart. Yeah. And I think as Christians, when we, when we desire to pursue Christ and love him with our whole heart and our whole soul and our whole mind, I think we should get to a place where we want so badly for other people to also experience that, that we yeah. can't help but be evangelistic. I think of it as a, as I've kind of sat with it. And I think where I've come to it with now is I think of it in, re, in regards to like a marriage. If I say I love Jasmine, then there's going to be an aspect of a relationship where I'm actually studying the things about her, like studying her, what, what makes her tick, what makes her excited, what makes her We're spending time with her. Right. But, and that's what I, this is what I was saying is like, I could study her, her routines, her schedules and things like uh, that as much as, mm-hmm. as much as I want. But I also need to spend time with her. There is an aspect of it, whereas I'm getting to learn aspects of your character. But then there's also just enjoying your your presence but, and being like with how you. weird of a marriage would that be, right? If you had a bunch of <laughs> you knew a bunch of yeah. facts about your wife, but yeah. you didn't yeah. spend any time with her. Well, and it's a both exactly. and, right? Um, yeah. Like I do this shtick in in one of my talks where I say, you know, if you heard I had a wife and two kids, and you came up to me and you said, hey, Wes, what's your what's your wife? What's Melissa like? What are your kids, Eli, and Everly like? And I went, well, you know what? Um, well, uh, Melissa, she has uh, she has brown hair, and <laughs> yeah. she has uh, five fingers on each hand, <laughs> and um, oh, what's Eli like? Oh, he takes after his mom. He also has five fingers. Nice like, animals. that's a, yeah, 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 that's right. These are weird answers, because they are descriptions of my wife. <laughs> But they yeah. don't actually show you I know anything about my wife. The flip side of that is if I just like went home one day and was like, Melissa, don't talk to me. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to experience you. She'd be like, well, and I have things to tell you. Like, it's, it's, I think there are extremes on both sides where it's like you can just know facts about God and have no relationship. Or you can almost uh, not know enough about God to the point where God is kind of esoteric and you need, you need to do both, right? Love of my wife is expressed with understanding who my wife is and love of my God is expressed in understanding who my God is. And that is both, you know, who he is in his character expressed through scripture and how I experience him. Yeah. I was just going to say one thing that's interesting about this is how we also experience God in other people. And that gets back again to that communal idea of how, for example, what God's done in your life, Wes, can minister to me, mm. right? And what God's done in my life can minister to you. And I, this is an interesting part uh, of our faith I think a lot of people take for granted. One thought, as you're talking, Wes, just one thought that I wanted to add to that was we talk about like studying and learning about new things as if it's a big burden, Right. And and sometimes it's it's tough. Like I mean, sometimes I have to read through some academic stuff that I'm just like, man, this is so dry I could <laughs> like how Andy puts it, right? I wanna poke my eyes out kind of thing. Drier than Denver. Yeah. By the way, Denver's <laughs> super dry. Oh man, I thought Edmonton was dry. This place is dry, dry. And when you're bald man, it is dry. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but um 
But I mean, think about it, right? When you are learning things about Melissa, or when I'm learning stuff about my wife, Sharina, you know, it, it's it's a joy. Because sometimes when I learn things about her, like I can I can do something for her that's meaningful. So for example, uh, I just told this story uh, last Sunday as I was preaching that, you know, I had my wisdom teeth removed and I'm out of commission for a week. And so Sharina's like taking care of the kids, taking care of me. I mean, she did everything. So I... Hold on. You just recently had your wisdom teeth taken not, out? Not recently. Sorry. <laughs> I... I recently talked about this, but this <laughs> oh, <okay>. wisdom tooth <laughs> removal happened years ago. <laughs> okay, okay. But um, so then, when I was all healed up, I on my way home, I picked up a bouquet of flowers and some dark chocolate. Now, what flowers did I get? I got Gerber daisies. Why? Because I know that's her favorite flowers, right? She she doesn't really like roses. She likes Gerber daisies. So, but but I couldn't have done that if I hadn't actually studied or if I hadn't put in the effort of actually remembering what she said about her favorite flower. When you study something about God, right, you get to know about God that much more. And, and that actually, theoretically, that changes the way you spend time with God. So it can be a real joy learning things about God and the world that he has created. When you were talking, uh, Steve, what it reminded me of is uh, Hosea 4, 1 to 6, says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And what I've always thought that was interesting about that verse is love— for God is directly tied to knowledge of who God is. And God is pulling back from Israel because they've forgotten who he is. You know, we also see this in, in judges, right? The judges are doing things for God that are abominable because they've just forgotten who God is. And so when they do things like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my daughter, He's like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, don't do that. (laughs) That's one of the things he told you not to do. But they had forgotten who God was, the knowledge of who God was, that they started to act in ways that were actually contradictory to the character of God. And so it's a both and in these situations, right? It's a get to know the character of God and the presence of God and get to know the characteristics of how God describes himself. Because neglecting one or the other could really end you up in worshiping and serving a God that really represents a different God than the one that's expressed through scripture. Hey listeners, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We pray you were challenged and encouraged. As always, make sure to like and subscribe. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. We'd love to hear from you online. So if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email at info at and we can send you in the right direction. But until next time, you know the drill. Love God, love people. Bye for now.